Welcome back to another episode of Crime with Holly. I'm your host, Crime Holly, and today is Monday, which means another Missing Monday case for you. For those who are newer to the podcast, Missing Mondays is a segment that was created to help keep missing persons' name and information in the media the best that I can, and to also let families know that their loved one is not forgotten. Often when the hype of these missing persons cases dies down, people go back to their regular lives and the missing are kind of forgotten about. Families are left wondering if anyone cares about their missing loved one. And this is my way of trying to not only keep their name out there, but also to let the families know that their loved one matters to me and to all of us that listen to this podcast. I will continue to share their name and their story until they are found. These cases are the cases that keep me up at night. They're the ones that I think about literally every single day because people just don't go poof. They are out there somewhere waiting to be found. Today's Missing Mondays case is on the disappearance of Desiree Ferris. Desiree Ann Ferris was born on February 11th, 1999. Now, I couldn't find her dad's name, but I do know that her mom's name is Patty. Patty and Desiree's father ended up getting divorced when she was just a toddler, and he would go on to remarry a woman by the name of Jennifer Ferris. It seems like Jennifer is the one who handles the media and the press for Desiree's father, and I can imagine that all of this is extremely tough for him to have his daughter missing, so Jennifer kind of seems like she takes the reins. In total, Desiree has nine siblings between her full siblings as well as her step-siblings, and she adored each and every one of them. She loved to spend time with her family, but she was extremely close to her mother. Both her mother and stepmother described Desiree as someone who was just so loving. She had a vibrant and bubbly personality and was literally the type of person that lit up every single room that she walked into. And while I know that is a cliche thing to say, her family says that that is exactly how she was. She was absolutely beautiful with big brown eyes and beautiful long brown hair, and she had always dreamed of becoming a model. Not only was Desiree this bubbly and beautiful young woman, but she was also so kind to people. In one of the many videos I saw about this case, there were several comments from people who actually went to school with Desiree, and though they didn't really know her very well, they knew her more so in passing. And one of these commenters stated that Desiree was just really so sweet and so nice to her. This person described themselves as a loner and said that Desiree always went above and beyond with her kindness, always making sure to smile at them and to ask how their day was. So as I said, Desiree loved her family and she was extremely close with her mom, Patty. Desiree was Patty's youngest child and she had four in total. 
And even though Desiree was 18 years old, she was her mama's baby, and she still lived at home with her family. If she was apart from her mom, the two of them would still be in constant communication. They would text each other just to see how they were doing. They would give each other calls randomly throughout the day and just always had that open communication. One thing that Patty misses the most about her daughter are the times when Desiree would come into her room and cuddle up in bed with Patty and watch TV or a movie. Prior to Desiree going missing in 2017, her family started to become increasingly worried about the company that she was keeping. It seemed like she had made friends with the wrong crowd of people, and it was worrisome because a lot of them were involved with drugs and other illegal activity. Her family confronted Desiree about it, and she reassured her family that though they may not be the best kind of people, she wasn't getting involved with that kind of stuff herself. And her family states that they believe her and that they have no reason to believe that Desiree was involved with drugs. On May 1st, 2017, the day before Patty's birthday, Patty woke up and got ready for work. She was under the suspicion that her daughters were trying to plan some kind of birthday celebration for her. Because she spotted a birthday card in Desiree's room, and there also was ingredients for a cake in the kitchen. She got herself ready for work and left the house thinking that when she came back home, her girls would have something special set up for her. Around 5 p.m., Patty got home from work and found that Desiree was not home. Now, the details of this case are pretty sporadic, and there isn't a ton of information out there. However, we do know that before Desiree went missing, she did spend some time with her older sister. In the early morning hours on that May 1st, Desiree and her sister were picked up from their home by a man named Robert Jason Keegan. Robert went by his middle name, so going forward, I'm just going to refer to him as Jason. So after Desiree and her sister got picked up by Jason from their home in Liberty, Missouri, the three went to several different locations in and around the Kansas City area, which is about a 21-minute drive from where they lived in Liberty. Now, these locations that they went to included abandoned homes or trap houses where drug activity is known. This is confirmed by the authorities that these were well-known trap houses that Desiree and her sister had gone to visit with Jason. Sometime around 4.30 p.m., Jason dropped off Desiree and her sister at a McDonald's located off of 31st Street and Van Brunt Boulevard in Kansas City. And from there, a man by the name of Mark Arzola picked them up. Now, both Mark and Jason are very well known to the authorities. They both had records. Mark had been in and out of prison several times. They just weren't good people. And I'm not really sure how Desiree and her sister first came in contact with them, but they certainly are not the kind of people that you'd want your kids hanging around. And again, Desiree's family had expressed concerns to her about the company that she was keeping, but Desiree was trusting to a fault and always wanted to see the good in everybody and just reassured her family that they were okay. After picking up the girls from the McDonald's in Kansas City, Mark then drove back to Liberty because Desiree's sister had wanted to go home at this point. 
For whatever reason, Desiree wasn't ready to go home. So instead of getting out at their house with her sister, she stayed back in the car with Mark. And after this point, we really don't know with 100% certainty what went on. According to Mark, he claims that after dropping off Desiree's sister, he and Desiree went back to South Kansas City and went to a parking lot where they allegedly parked the car and the two of them sat inside the car talking for quite some time before they went back to his house. Now, Mark claims that Desiree was picked up from his house sometime between 2 and 2.30 in the morning. He said that at the time that she left his home, she was perfectly fine and was picked up in a white or silver truck. So backtracking just a bit, as I mentioned, Patty came home around 5 p.m. on May 1st and found that her daughter wasn't there. I don't think at first she was very alarmed because Desiree was texting back and was active online. Eventually, Patty went to sleep, but she woke up in the middle of the night, kind of in the early morning hours of May 2nd, and again, that was on her birthday, and she grabbed her phone expecting to see a call or some text messages from Desiree, but there was nothing from her, and when Patty checked Facebook, she found that Desiree's presence online had completely gone dark, which this was very unlike her daughter. Desiree was an 18-year-old girl. Her life literally revolved around social media in 2017, and Patty became worried pretty quickly and just felt deep down something wasn't right. She had this gut feeling that there was something wrong, and this was completely all out of character for Desiree. Again, she had that very close relationship with her mom where she was in constant contact. She would let her mom or other people know where she was, when she was leaving, and so on. So for her to not hear from her daughter was unusual. On top of that, Desiree's social medias were dark. She hasn't texted back. Things just were not sitting right for Patty. And so she called the police and filed a missing persons report. Straight away, the police were very responsive to this case, which I have to say I admire because, as we know, a lot of missing persons cases, these families get brushed off. They're told that they have to wait 24 to 48 hours before they can file a missing persons report. Or with this case, Desiree was technically an adult. She was 18 years old. They could have easily said that she was allowed to go missing. She's an adult. But instead, they took this very seriously and immediately pushed her information and picture out onto their Facebook page and began the process of piecing together her last movements. Unfortunately, it was this post that alerted Desiree's stepmom, Jennifer, and her dad that she was missing. I can only imagine that sinking feeling that she must have felt when she saw the Facebook post. I know that she had said in an interview that her phone was blowing up, people were texting and calling, asking her what was going on, and she was literally just receiving the information as these people were calling her. So I can imagine that that was very tough for her to deal with. But Jennifer and Patty teamed up and they began working together to help search for their daughter. Desiree's sister helped Patty and Jennifer as well as the authorities to retrace Desiree's steps from that day before. 
She was able to give the details about both men that she and Desiree had been with that evening and what they were doing leading up to her being dropped back off at the house between 5 and 6 p.m. and Desiree going back to Kansas City. This gave the authorities a good starting place in their search, and their first priority was to track down Mark and Jason. While trying to find the two men, the police were also able to pull Desiree's cell phone records, and they were able to access the ping locations from her phone. They found that her phone last pinged in a neighborhood located in South Kansas City called Marlboro Heights, and lo and behold, that is where Mark lived. The neighborhood was also another well-known neighborhood to the authorities, and when they saw that her last location was there, they felt really unsettled by it. This neighborhood is known for major drug activity. It is not a place where any young 18-year-old girl should ever be. It's bad news all around. While obtaining the cell phone pings, they also learned that Desiree had been texting and calling people the whole way back to Kansas City after dropping her sister off. She even had FaceTimed one of her friends in the car, and the family and the authorities were able to speak to that person, and that person said that Desiree was in good spirits, there was nothing wrong, all seemed well, she didn't seem uneasy or scared, she just seemed like her normal self. There was nothing to alert this person that maybe potentially something was wrong. Around 1 a.m. on May 2nd, Desiree had sent out a text message to her sister that said, quote, I'm coming home, end quote, but obviously she would never make it. Sometime around 3 a.m., Desiree or someone with her phone had accessed the Facebook app, and then at 4.11 a.m., Desiree's phone is shut off. Now, whether it was physically powered down or it died, I'm not really sure, and there are differing reports on this, but what we do know is that the phone for sure was off by 4.11 a.m. and has never been turned on again. While the police were doing what they could for this case, Patty and Jennifer hit the ground running doing their own searches. They passed out flyers, they went door-to-door to some really rough neighborhoods asking if anyone had seen or heard anything, if they knew who their daughter was, and they even went to the door of the home where Desiree's phone last pinged at, but nobody answered. Jennifer and Patty were literally on a mission, and they didn't care how dangerous this neighborhood was. Their only concern was finding Desiree, and they put themselves at risk in doing so. Ten days after Desiree went missing, Robert Jason Keegan was arrested on federal charges and has now since been put into federal prison. These charges are unrelated to Desiree's case, but since then, he has not cooperated whatsoever with police and refuses to speak to the police or Desiree's family despite their multiple tries. In late May of 2017, during one of the searches for Desiree, Jennifer came face-to-face with Mark Arzola, and she asked him straight up, where is Desiree? 
He told Jennifer the story I said from earlier that he dropped off Desiree's sister at the house. He drove back to Kansas City with Desiree. The two hung out in a parking lot before going back to his place, and then she was picked up in a white or silver truck. But this time, he said that Desiree was picked up by Jason Keegan in that truck. He said that Desiree was fine when she left the house, nothing was wrong, she wasn't upset, and that the two of them actually continued to text after she left with Jason. Mark said that he was texting Desiree because she had accidentally left some clothing at his house, and that's what they were chatting back and forth about. Now, I will say with this case, the police really haven't released any solid information about any of this. I'm assuming they know everyone she was in communication with, what the conversations were about, and so on, that she was having over text message. However, when asked to comment on this case, the police department have really been tight-lipped, keeping everything close to the vest. I think they, without a doubt, know more than what has been released, and I really think that they are just trying to protect the integrity of this case. One of the things that I know they looked at, obviously, as I've said, are her text messages. And from my understanding, Desiree had been texting Jason when she was with Mark. There had been at least 23 text messages exchanged between Jason and Desiree between the times of 10.20 p.m. and 10.58 p.m. on May 1st. Which this kind of has the authorities and even her family wondering if maybe Jason had picked her up earlier than that 2 a.m. time frame that Mark gave. Again, though, the authorities, I'm quite certain, have more than what they are saying. So I'm assuming that they know more of if she was leaving with Jason, what time it was going to be, and all of that information. However, none of that has been released. And at this point in time, things are slightly at a standstill with this case. And though Mark and Jason are the last people to have seen Desiree from what we know, Neither of them have ever been named a suspect in her case. I will say that this case was a little hard to piece together because there's so much conflicting information and a lot of he said, she said going on. And without the police really releasing much, it's hard to know exactly what they've all for sure penned down as fact. This case is still very much an active and ongoing case for the Liberty Police Department. I know that in April of 2022, a set of skeletal remains were found by mushroom hunters in Ray County, Missouri. They were found roughly 30 miles from where Desiree had went missing. However, I know that those remains were identified and they did not belong to Desiree, but instead belonged to a 27-year-old woman named Colette Green, and it is being investigated as a homicide. So now that I've covered the majority of what we know about this case, I'm going to get into some of the things that the family have been told while they were doing their searches for Desiree. None of this has been proven as fact, but with the rough crowd that she was involved with, you truly never know if there is some truth to these rumors. According to the stories of the unsolved, the family shared that there was an eyewitness who claims that they saw Desiree's body in the front passenger seat of the truck that was parked at the house on Highland Street, which this shouldn't come as any surprise, but that is the house that Mark Arzola lived in. 
This witness stated that they were unsure of how she died, but her body was then placed inside of a barrel covered in concrete and then dumped in a nearby water source. There has been several underwater searches done for Desiree or this barrel, but each search has come up empty. There are several theories circulating about what happened to Desiree, and one of the biggest is that she died from an overdose. The people that Desiree was hanging around and the places that she was visiting were well known for drug activity, and it's a possibility that she had gotten wrapped up in the drug scene and that she had an accidental overdose. From everything that I've seen from her family, and as I said this earlier, they do not believe that Desiree was using drugs. But while she was close with her family, you truly never know what someone could be doing. I know I was young and impressionable at one time, and I made a lot of stupid choices that my family couldn't even dream of. I hid a lot of what I was doing, and though I never got involved with drugs, there were some serious poor mistakes and poor choices that I was making that my folks had no clue about, and I'm going to keep it that way. People speculate that she overdosed, and Mark and Jason panicked and disposed of her body. I could honestly see that happening, or maybe she possibly saw something that she shouldn't have and they got rid of her to make sure that she couldn't talk. Another theory is that Desiree was sold into the sex trade and is being sex trafficked somewhere in the country. Patty and Jennifer created a family hotline for tips and leads to be called into, and at one point they did receive a phone call from someone claiming that Desiree was being trafficked out of state. And this person was pretty much demanding that they pay a $2,000 ransom and Desiree would be allowed to go home. Obviously, her family reported this to the police and they were able to investigate this and found that this was just one of those unfortunate scam calls that families of the missing often get. Which I absolutely hate that these families have to deal with such evil people trying to scam them when they're already at the lowest point in their lives. However, despite this being debunked, I do believe that, you know, it could be a possibility. The only thing that I think makes me lean towards her not being trafficked is the lack of sightings that have taken place over the years since she's been missing. If she was being trafficked, I feel like someone would have seen her and reported it. The final theory that I have seen is that Desiree ran away from home to start a new life. This honestly just doesn't seem plausible to me. She didn't have any bad blood with her family. They all were extremely close. She had plans with her sister to bake a cake for their mom. Things were well in her life. And she literally had no reason to run off and drop off the face of the earth like she has. Not to mention, if she had ran off, I again believe that someone would have called in with a sighting of her, but that hasn't happened. This entire case is really sad to me, and I hate that the family is left with such little information. I do, however, think that the people that Desiree had been with are involved somehow, whether they covered up her accidental overdose or she was at the wrong place at the wrong time and saw something that she shouldn't or they got upset. I don't know. I do feel in my gut, though, that Mark and Jason or maybe just one of them was involved in whatever happened to Desiree. I can only hope that over time someone will gain a conscience and come forward with information so that this family can finally have answers and to bring her home. 
Since her disappearance, Patty spends a lot of time in Desiree's room. She goes in there whenever she needs to feel close to her daughter, and everything has been left completely untouched and is exactly how Desiree left it on the day that she went missing. Desiree Ferris went missing on May 2nd, 2017 at the age of 18 years old. If she's still alive today, she would now be 25. She is a Caucasian female with brown hair and brown eyes. She stands at 5'1", and at the time of her disappearance, she was just 95 pounds. Desiree has a birthmark on her abdomen near her belly button, and she has a a 1.5-inch scar on her left forearm. She was last seen wearing a white or cream-colored crop top, a pink fuzzy jacket, and sweatpants. She could have been possibly carrying a tan purse. None of her personal belongings have been found. No cell phone, no shoes, nothing. If you or anyone you know has information about her whereabouts, you can contact the Liberty Police Department at 816-526-6178. You can also call the TIPS hotline at 816-474-8477. There's also a call or text anonymous tip line that you can contact at 816-945-2722. According to the family's Facebook page, which I will have linked in the description of this episode, there is a $12,500 reward for information leading to an arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for Desiree's disappearance. Make sure you head over and show the family some love on their Facebook page. It seems like it's been a few years that they've been on there very active. However, I am sure that they still check the page for notifications. I would love for them to know that Desiree's story has not been forgotten and that people are still sharing her story and her picture. My heart completely goes out to all of them. I cannot imagine how incredibly painful these last nearly seven years have been for them. I hope that Desiree is found soon so she can be brought back to her family no matter how that may be. Crimesters, if you aren't already a part of my private Facebook group, make sure you find it by searching Crime with Holly podcast discussion group. In there, I share all information and pictures pertaining to the cases that I cover, and I also encourage all members to share all things true crime. You can also follow me over on Instagram at Crimeaholly. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's Missing Monday. Until next time, be aware and take care. Bye-bye. 